Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. Noble Warrior is where I interview multi-dimensional entrepreneurs about their spiritual disciplines. So you can go out and engineer your life with more depth, impact, and meaning. If you have any friends who could use more inspiration and permission to help them take a leap of faith, go ahead and share this episode with them. They'll thank you for it. My, my next guest is Emily Griffin. She's a dear friend. She's led global programming for Xbox Music and Video at Microsoft before she started her consultancy to create vibrant experiences that enlivens people and help businesses flourish. Her artistic, empathetic approach is at the heart of her consultancy for any leadership teams that want to re-energize the culture with more joy and purpose. We talked about why COVID accelerated empathy to become the central theme at work, and why empathy for others starts with empathy for ourselves. Innovation is the competitive edge for knowledge-based businesses. We ask this question, what does it take to fundamentally innovate? Emily's purpose in life is to spark joy and aliveness, so then people bring it back home and to work. And she shares a story of how her childhood ignited her fire for more art and community and sparking joy in other people's lives. We also talked about why attempting to copy someone else's company culture is futile and how her former DJ experiences brought unique superpowers to create group coherence for impact-driven companies. We talked about specific methods that she used to cultivate trust and culture while working remotely. Finally, we wrapped up the conversation with a great case study. We talked about Cleo Barnett of Amplify and how she exemplifies someone using the power of art to change hearts and minds. Please enjoy my conversation with Emily Griffin. My next guest is Emily Griffin. She has led global teams at Xbox and Microsoft. She's been a radio DJ, club DJ, fostering community at the Epic Center of San Francisco's underground dance music movement. She has had 20 years of experience leading global teams in entertainment and technology, and also as a facilitator, creating vibrant experiences that enliven people and help business flourish. Please welcome Emily Griffin. Thank you, CK. It's such an honor and a privilege to be here and on my birthday. That's Where right. Happy, happy birthday. Do a little dance party. We got a dance party yeah. going on always in my house. That's right. <laughs> so, I want to ask you right away, at the end of 2020, you launched with your co-founder, this empathy tour where you interview impact leaders about their stories and empower a new way of leadership. Can you share with us, what is the motivation, the inspiration that have you launched this at the end of 2020? Yes, my co-collaborator, Jyoti Patel, who's also an amazing experienced designer and facilitator and strategist, um, we both had met and were evolving um, out of having worked more in corporate into our own independent consultancies. And so we, you know, with everything that was coming up in 2020 and the amazing just unveiling that 2020 was for so many so many issues close to our hearts, we wanted to engage in a research project and listen to leaders and the kinds of the kinds of companies that we wanted to serve as consultants. And so it was 
it was one part, you know, an empathy tour for us and a listening tour to hear how they're evolving, how they're pivoting, like how they're, you know, how they're being agile and resourceful in, in such a, in such a shift of a time. And it was also equal parts, a campaign to highlight the kind of leadership that we are so passionate about and want to see more of in the world. I think that's super brilliant. So what criteria did you use to seek out the different leaders, the different entrepreneurs, the different visionaries to say, Hey, we want to interview more of these type of people versus the not so inspired aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, as we started to pull together our, our networks and see how, you know, how they came together, we definitely saw an intersection of tech and social impact companies and organizations. And so we have, um, we have leaders there like Lauren Sato, who runs an organization that called Ada Developers Academy, which is all about infusing the tech industry with diversity um, and in terms of trained uh, mentored amazing talent to help balance out the you know the balance of gender and um, and that you know that's in tech and then we have we have imperative which is a company that's all about uh, peer bringing peer coaching at scale to um, to corporations so there is there is this whole range of people but we definitely focus more on Seattle because we're here um, there's definitely some folks you know more on the west coast we have Emily Best from Seed and Spark who was who's an amazing um, platform for um, for different for different uh, independent filmmakers and and so we was really tech social impact it's where we see um, the most difference being made in terms of economic you know, economic potential, and also the leaders we were seeing that weren't just there. Like we wanted to really showcase the the power of leaders who weren't just thinking about profits first, and really just holding up that hierarchical exploitive model that we're trying to break down and you know create something new from. We wanted to see we wanted to see leaders who are centering people and centering uh, impact. You know planet impact and centering pleasure, centering joy and a different way of doing business that doesn't mm -hmm. just hold up the supremacy of profit and, um, you know, people that were really values aligned, really. Okay. Awesome. So let me quick recap. What I heard you said is it's not just about profit, hierarchical, uh, exploitive type of model. It's about the people center, joy center and making some kind of uh, social impact that's being under value, under appreciated, under developed. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And with COVID, it really was an accelerant, I think, for a lot of leaders to realize that they they had to center some of these things. I think that there was a lot of, uh, there has been a lot of talk about this for years, but with COVID and the collapse of a lot of the kind of boundaries that we all had, you know, I think empathy became, you know, empathy really became central to how we were going to get through our days. Um, not just, you know, empathy for others, but obviously our capacity to have empathy for others really starts with our capacity to have empathy for ourselves. So. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. so, um, well, what are some of the tactical things that I share with you as a way to empower themselves as leaders to 
um, have more empathy for themselves, to discover more of it, to have more capacity for the people that they serve, their family, their employees, their stakeholders, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, every every leader that we spoke to and the leaders that I look up to who are at, out there just living, living out loud and being vulnerable and sharing what's working for them, everybody talks about listening and the power of listening. And, um, and the need for, you know, like, like the need for us to like really like jump over this kind of set, you know, centering ourselves, centering our experience, centering ourselves in our, you know, white, a lot of times white, able-bodied, um, just very, very privileged bubble and actually like listen at the margins, listen for underrepresented folks, like listen to the people that are actually doing the work because so many, so many people are saying the work is getting done, mm -hmm. but, but it's the, it's the how it's like that, how, you know, how, how are we doing like how, you know, like that, just the, the pausing to check in and not treat people like machines and that extractive model of just like, yep, get the work done, keep the production line going, but actually the power of being able to pause and check in and the pause to like ask questions because that's what we're realizing and a, a lot of the leaders spoke about is that it's it's really this this extractive exploitive capitalistic kind of colonial model that it works because it keeps us too busy to slow down and ask questions so so I, I'm, you know me, I'm in total alignment with you, right? Treat people like human beings and, and ultimately, and here's the argument for ultimately you get more out of the people anyway, because especially if you're in a, in, in a, in an organization, it's really about ideas and innovation and an emergence of something new. Yeah. It takes creative energy, not the you know, factory. Let's just crank out things that we already know how to do and just crank it out. So. So, but, but for, for some people listening, they may be still skeptical of like, why, why shift? You know, mm -hmm. why do you want to, it's weird to say this, but why do you want to treat the holistic human being rather than just the, you know, the talent that I hire, the skill that I hire, the borrow hands, you know, why that, why, why, why now the, you know, treating them with holistic you know, uh, a way of looking at them as human beings. I know it's so weird to ask this question, but I no, it's really, it's really great. And I think that, you know, anyone, any, you know, I really, I really do have a lot of empathy for CEOs and leaders and people that go to bed at night thinking about the, the livelihoods that are, that they are caring for. Um, I, I really, I have, I have a lot of compassion and empathy for the decisions that leaders have to make every day and for the, the stakeholders and the shareholders and all of the people and all of the all of the the needs that they're trying to balance right and we we know that as leaders that you have to have you have to be centered enough in yourself to really hold space for the either or and the profit and the people and and this kind of paradox that we're in like we we're operating in a capitalistic system um, and we do have to show productivity we do have to show growth and and my 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 question to anybody that would you know that still has like the that that skeptic in their mind that is saying like look i just need to show growth i need us to move forward i need to show the numbers 
I would ask that person more about what they think about innovation and what innovation really is and what innovation really means. Because I believe if you are hiring people just for their hands to check the box and to move the units, that that does that does serve a purpose. And if you really want to innovate, you need you need people's hearts and minds in the equation. And that's that's that wholeness you're talking about. Um, and that's where, you know, when you when you think at, in this last year, when you look at the number of women that have dropped out of the workforce and you look at any any parent at home that's also managing, you know, like I'm managing third grade here, like at the same time that I'm trying to get work done. I mean, like that's there, you know, talk about innovation. Like there's there's problems to solve. Like if you if someone's heart is in the equation, you can connect with them and what really like and and what makes them kind of like what makes their heart break. And there's up, you know, and like what the problems that they're seeing in the world. And I really feel like there's if there's space for people to I and if there's space and safety for people to share that and to speak up and to stand up and be part of the creation of the success of a company, then innovation really can emerge. Yeah, I love that. You know, from an engineering point of view, if I boil it down to this simplistic uh, throughput, this type of analogy, um, just think if you can tap into more resource or resourcefulness, of an individual, then they'll be able to actually they have more spaciousness to create and come up with new things to innovate to cross pollinate. Versus, let's say, you know, like COVID, a great example, right? As a parent, and now all of a sudden you have this additional thing that yeah, you need, you know, uh, your your you know child is staying at home, you know, barking or or <laughs> or crying in the background. You have now you have less internal space to go out and create the things that you need. So having more empathy as a leader for your employees, having little kids at home crying and, you know, babysitting and teaching and, you know, schooling in different rooms, making noises. That's, um, I think it's it, it where allowed them to have more inner spaces to create new things. That's what I heard from what you said. Yeah. And, and when you, when you're reflecting that back, I just, I keep thinking about relationships and I keep thinking about work and the fact that most people, you know, they're, they're working a lot of hours and the people that they work with, they're spending usually more time with than their family. Obviously in the last year, it's been a bit different. We've, you know, people with kids and families around, we've, we've seen a whole lot of them <laughs> and lots of people at work in person. But I just keep thinking about relationships and I keep thinking about, um, you know, even with, with our colleagues and our teams, how, you know, being, we're living our lives together in, you know, in this co-created, um, in this co-created like entity where it's, you know, the, we are, we are whole people coming into work and that have you know, moments of celebration and moments of grief. And I just keep thinking about empathy and everything we're talking about leading with heart is about really connecting with someone as like a relationship, like a friend, like a colleague and how much really with culture and as a culture executive and, you know, culture creator, as you are, you know, that 
people, you know, in work environments, that's what's really hurting right now. And we keep hearing about the erosion of culture because we're we're missing out on a lot of that spontaneity and a lot of the celebration and the the being together that we were we were used to, which which was a source of a lot of innovation and and care and creativity. Uh, you're speaking about the remote work setting right now, the Zoom, everything Zoom versus the water cooler moments yes. where you get to interact, you know, whiteboarding, pop your head in kind of a thing. Is that what you're Yeah, yeah that, that's spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, well, since you were talking about it, uh, do you have any suggestions? Have you have those leaders that you interview share some of the ways that they've now um pivoted given this new challenge from the remote work uh, environment that we yeah, all- I would I would say the the some of the great points we heard about um we spoke to a woman Alonda Williams who le- who heads up the YMCA here in Seattle and um, their their team works a lot on Microsoft Teams but one of the one of the you know plus sides that she was saying with everybody being remote was it actually created more access and more um, more inclusion of people that wouldn't normally be invited to certain brainstorming meetings. They really, their team really started to embrace just more more collaboration in a way that before there was a there was a bit more physical gatekeeping, um, so to speak. So we were really happy to hear about that, like like moments like that where where people just were you know were given were given an option to express, you know, what, you know, what they wanted to use their wellness budget for and what that, what wellness meant to them or, um, or Alanda and the YMCA um, folks really being more inclusive with people that wouldn't normally be allowed in, you know, strategy brainstorming meetings. I mean, that, that was, um, you know, that stuff like that has been really important, I think, as, as that, we know, we know culture or those, are those rituals and those ways that people it kind of hold, holds it all together. I see. So what I'm hearing is before, because of the actual physical barriers, certain people wouldn't be invited in, but now it's virtual. They actually have now proactively go out and invite people who normally wouldn't have been invited to these type of collaboration and brainstorming sessions, correct? Yeah, we're having to be a lot more intentional about including people because there is that, you know, out of sight, out of mind thing. So how we're brainstorming and gathering and celebrating and all of those moments that um, that really make a company a company, you know, those those culture pieces, the rituals and the ways that we work together, that's that we've had to become a lot more intentional about that. Everybody has. You know, one of the things that one of the ideas that I that I dream about is a virtual co-working space. You don't have to say anything. You just come in, mute yourself, and you know that another person's working. So I have yet to see a product or feature like this occur, other than some of the mastermind group people that I that I'm in communication with. Have you come across anything else that is like new, innovative ways to uh, create to facilitate that? digital intimacy? Um, well, I, I'm actually curious if you've experimented with that at all, just on your own, organically. Just uh, gathering. Yeah. So, so as you know, uh, Flow Fam, one of my weekly rituals is my way of cultivating that digital intimacy and community sense, right? Where we basically 
just philosophize over lo-fi music, you know, uh, in, improvisationally off the cuff. So that's one way to do it. But in terms of virtual co-working, I'm looking for it. I couldn't find it. That's why I was hoping that maybe like, hey, you may have come across something else. Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, there's probably parallel scenarios, but I, I get what you're I get what you're saying. And I think it'll be really interesting the more that we're moving into this hybrid time where basically, you know, I've I've worked with remote, remote and distributed teams my whole career, but I think it's it's newer to a lot of people and I it's it's here to stay. And this hybrid world that we're going to be in and just the digital nomads that have been around forever are, you know, we can, we can help guide people that are less used to how to make it work in these ways. But, but co-working is a thing, right? It's, it was, it was on the rise in the last few years anyways. And I've heard how companies that are, that are rethinking their physical spaces, it's going to be a lot more like that where there's hot desks and kind of like, it's more of a spontaneous place that, that serves the needs of the individuals and those mo those moments of like intentional connection, um, but I you know your your digital co working idea perhaps that's a perhaps that's something that you can uh, can innovate in because it's because uh, FlowFam you know our um, our our friend Gavin and the FlowFam Fridays is a great example of what is actually needed no matter no matter what an office looks like or will look like those moments of connection and play are so crucial for creating that psychological safety for these other deeper, more vulnerable and real conversations to happen in the workplace, because not everybody feels safe to bring their whole self to work. Um, it's, it's something, uh, you know, it's an environment of psychological safety is, is everybody's responsibility. And that's part of where embodiment, heart, creativity, like all of that comes into play because we can all then settle our bodies, create more like actual energetic coherence together, which is not some woo woo term. Like it's real. Like when we're in a space together, like what you're talking about with coworking, there's a level of presence and flow that's possible when you're seen and heard and able to um, speak your truth, make mistakes, like all of this, this is not woo woo stuff. This is real. This is what makes culture work and innovation as well have you so again we're definitely aligned there <laughs> as a recovering cerebralist you know i have a phd i basically the way i thought about the body was its only job is to carry my head for a good two and a half decades that's the way i thought mm -hmm. right i didn't really care about you know the heart or the body really it was just um, the mind. It's all about the mind, right? Yeah. And, and as I get older, as I actually have gone through my own journey, I start to really pay attention to like, oh, there's actually wisdom. Wisdom to me now, if I have to create a, a visualization of it, is a vein diagram of the heart, the mind and the body and the inside. Mm. That's where wisdom is, right? The embodied wisdom of it. So um, the question I have for you, Emily, is someone who facilitates and experiences and you have talked to tons of heart center leaders what kind of practices or tactics have they set, uh, recommended as a way to bring that somatic wisdom that somatic experience that embodiment to their employees have you come across any new and interesting ideas that you have um, yes 
Yes. And I want to just also just relate with also being very focused on he- the head and just that cerebral training, all of the landmark stuff that we went through, CK and I met through landmark education and the team management leadership program. All of that was very, you know, very cerebral. And I, I got such a clear message that I had to drop into my body because I was like, I, I was almost like my feet weren't even on the ground. I was very productive. I had an incredible hustle and grind going on all through my 20s. But really what happened was by the end of my 30s, I burnt out. I burnt out. And I I just, even my accomplishments, like they, even being acknowledged for my accomplishments, it wasn't even, land, I, I couldn't even feel it. It wasn't even landing. I was exhausted. And so it was that breakdown. It was that really that breakdown that had me realize that I had been called to do this training in yoga and Tantra and all of this. And that's, and that was like for my, almost like my, my personal life, I had it compartmentalized and I realized this all needs to come into integration. And one of, and as a facilitator and experience designer and someone who's committed to working in business, my, all of my woo stuff doesn't always necessarily translate. So I've been on the journey of finding a way to translate what I now am, can feel and know works for me intuitively. And I'm you know, grounded in my personal practice and my, my, morning, you know, my morning exercise and my morning breath and my morning prayers and all of that. But translating that into the workplace, the best thing I've found, and I'm a real fan of this organization called HeartMath, mm-hmm. they really, it's really teaching about coherence and your own coherence that you can build with really basic heart heart breathing, which is connecting to your heart and your left hand goes onto your belly and that slowing down breath. Because even just for a few minutes, it's amazing. And I challenge anybody this, when you're jumping into a meeting, you're jumping into a meeting, you're jumping right into that agenda, just like CK and I did right before this podcast, we just slowed down for a minute to focus on breathing, we settled our bodies, and it makes all the difference. And it allows you to actually build, once you're connected and are build, building that coherence inside yourself, again, just like you need empathy for yourself to have empathy for others, you build that coherence for yourself, and then you create that group coherence, which is allows you to open up the intelligence of the heart and your gut. Because it's, it isn't just about the brain and it's not just about, it's not about one or the other. Like we want to build that almost like that circuit. And it, that is a superpower. And that allows us to, to trust our gut and feel what, feel what, what, what a decision is going to feel like. You can actually just tap into an intelligence in your body that if you're just thinking up here, it's not going to work. And to add on to that as well, I've been doing. Um, no, 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 that was a lot. Let me do a quick recap before, before you keep dropping wisdom bombs here. Okay, so real quick. So think about what I heard is if you think about your, I guess, your, in, your inner space as a circuit, you have a lot of energy, a lot of mental energy, sometimes when it's not grounded in something. So actually having put your hand on your heart as a way to train yourself 
to mm-hmm. create that feedback loop. Hey, breathe for a moment. Stay calm for a moment. Close your eyes for a moment. And once that's complete, then you have again a, a lot more inner resourcefulness as you go about doing your day. And for those people who may be a little skeptical, right? Who, who um, <laughs> just try that on for a moment and actually just feel it in your body. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about how you actually feel in the end. So, so. Try this on. Put your hand on your heart. Breathe for a moment to see how you think about it, and then you can start to deepen your awareness of this somatic wisdom that you actually have. To see, hey, this actually allows me to to have more creative ideas, to to be a more pleasant person, to actually have a more enjoyable experience at work. Right? These type of positive yeah. feedback loops. Is that yeah. a reflection of what you said, Emily? Yes, absolutely. And a key part of it as well. So I like to put my right hand on my heart and the left hand I put on my belly. So um, for for women, it's below the navel. For men, it's a little bit higher. It's wherever you feel your like your solar center. Um, but you know, the belly is usually pretty guarded and is a very, you know, is a very vulnerable place as well. So yeah, I agree with you. Like this isn't just a concept. People can that are listening right now can do it as well. And just to be able to connect in to your heart and your gut is like you're almost all of a sudden your, your presence will your presence will shift. Absolutely. And then I'm speaking to the younger CK. When I first heard about someone else telling me, hey, just be present, just go inwards deeper. And in my mind, I was like, what do you mean? How do you do that? Well, younger CK, here's how you do it, right? Here's how you actually deepen your presence. Here's how you get grounded. Here's how you actually just slow down. So to be more creative, if that's what you want, go try this out. Yeah, I love that. And I think about us, on our, in our team management leadership program that we were in and thinking about those 40 to 60 of us that were in it together and like up for up for transformation and up for like really like reaching a new new potential for ourselves and for our communities i think about all of us just you know having the you know the potential of what 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 could have been even more if we were just to pause and do this basic embodiment exercise because there's a there's such this like settling that happens because so many of us, especially in the workplaces, there's, you know, we're we're coming to a lot of relationships and to a lot of, you know, we're walking around with our own history and our own trauma. And a lot of times, especially in a relationship and especially in the workplace where there is, it is a place where trauma happens, like we're kind of bracing ourselves a lot. And I think that it's really important. I want to weave this in because I've been in a, an apprenticeship program with Resma Manikam and my grandmother's hands based on based on his book, My Grandmother's Hands. And it's all about the somatic approach to anti-racism. And mm-hmm. it's again, it's a it's a chance to look at trauma and you know racial trauma and realize that we're not going to solve these problems cognitively. And like for us to be able to settle our bodies. And to know where we're at in our space, right? So you're seeing, you're seeing around your room, you can see behind you, there's a there's like an animalistic settling down that happens that we need to tap, we need to tap into 
like our animal body in a way to really allow ourselves to metabolize and and discharge and let go in a peaceful way like this kind of like like pent up kind of tension and contraction that this kind of you know production line don't pay attention to the heart just keep going keep producing like it just keeps making us not want to connect in so like these moments of slowing down can help us many fold and many of what we see and much of what we see possible for innovation and culture and healing you know personally and collectively i love that so so that was self coherence let's talk about group coherence so what are some of the practices that you have come across that help induce that help facilitate that help provide that help empower and support group co coherence well, a lot of my learning around group coherence came from my um, Jedi training, if you will, as a DJ, um, because as a DJ, I am, you know, at the, you know, I'm at the source of the room and creating a rhythm that everybody is tuned into and like locked in on, right? So a lot of my own embodied understanding of what group coherence is absolutely comes from dance music culture. And with that, um, you know, it has a lot of, and this is really where a lot of my workshops and training with people really comes in because I'm taking a lot of that wisdom and translating it into work and team environments because you want to have, you know, you have a collective definition of what good is like in a good, a good vibe, right. And like what it feels for a team to be like, you know, really jamming together. And you have that, that is possible because you have, you have, a sense of inclusion and safety, right? So if if there are, you know, people being harassed on the dance floor, the vibe is not going to go so well, right? Um, if the if the DJ or the leader is is paying attention to the room and like reading the room and understanding kind of like where people want to go and what they like, it there's this whole feedback loop. Like that's that's really crucial too. So for me now, I've tra I'm translating all of this wisdom that I've gotten as a DJ and bringing that into teams because what's possible with with teams and and as I you know design these experiences with teams, it's about tapping into this creative flow. So a lot of times it's it's DJing, it, it's like it's dancing and like being in our bodies together. It's also drawing and being creative and telling stories together, which is so much of what DJing has been for me as well. And um, and it's about you know creating that creating that that those moments of spontaneity um, when everything feels, especially now, feels very you know very planned and very bound you know very um, you know just. Like we're just trying to get work done and, and then go and have time bar on our own. So having these moments feel enlivening um, really does is like a ripple effect. So pause for a moment, possible moment. I'm going to ask you to make it even more concrete, if you don't mind. But let me actually reflect back what I heard. OK, well, sure. so if you think about an individual, there's the, you know, um, consciousness right that's who i am as, a, as as awareness and then there's persona personality so you feel a certain vibe when you interact with certain people like i i have a signature vibe right when you interact with me and when i interact with you emily there's a certain signature vibe and when you walk into a organization when i articulate as culture that's really the persona of the organization 
you can feel the morale, you can feel, you know, the vibration level, you can feel how simpatico the different employees are engaging with each other, right? You can feel it right away. It's, it's a very different feeling. Let's say when you interact with, let's say, you know, like a Navy SEAL team when they're like super trained, you know, they don't really need to say much and then everything mm -hmm. is just, you know, seamless. There's a certain culture. And when you go to, let's say, a dysfunctional organization, there's some culture, right? There's certain like friction points and drama and, and tension, and that's invisible, but we can totally feel it. So what I'm hearing you say so far, Emily, is when you, you're facilitating, you're bringing your DJ wisdom of basically how to read a room and how to you know, sense the certain drama or certain lower vibes and using the different mechanisms that you have as a way to tune and fine tune the collective energy of the room using music. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, that's as a DJ, that's 100% my job. <laughs> yeah. And then trans, you know, translating that into a workplace, it's a different scenario. You know, it's not, you know, late night, Saturday night, you know, letting loose kind of vibe. It's, it's a biz, it's a business setting, but the principles really can be carried over, especially around creating a, a safe space, having a place for people to feel included, fully self-expressed. And also that power of improvisation is really huge because when people are, you know, people are dancing and the artists are playing, there is that, there's that, that flow going on. And that's, why flow is so important to talk about, I believe, and even in business settings, because I believe that where people, what people engage in for the pure joy of it is actually a really great key for them to, to really see that and feel it and experience that and know that that can be an anchor for their own like embodied, you know, their embodied wisdom of that's what flow feels like. And what are the conditions of success for that state, because it's not something flow isn't something you do. It's like a it's like a state that you can achieve if all the right elements are there. And I think that's different for every person. And I think it's different for every team. So what are some of the mechanisms, some kind of tactical things that someone who's saying, I love what Emily's saying, love to create group coherence for my team. Where do I start? How do I, how do I, you know, what levers do I have to even go about, you know, this aspirational phenomenon called group coherence? Yeah, I love, I love that question. And, you know, I'm really inspired by a company called Work Human, which is also bringing a lot of these concepts to business at scale um, here in, in America and around the world. And they're, you know, they have their own, they have their own formula for recognition and celebration of people and their humanness and organizations. And I would break it down to really, no matter what your team size, no matter what your organization size, um, there's like, a, a, we all know the concept of microaggressions, right? The things that happen kind of unconsciously that really- well, Unpack that. I, well, that's a huge assumption that we all know that. Please yeah, yes. Well, Mike, if, if, if you don't know, my, microaggressions are the unconscious behaviors that happen that really undermine psychological safety, I will say. And it happens all over the place in, in our culture. Things people say or do that that cut people that cut people down and don't acknowledge their humanness. Can you give me an example real quick? Just, just A microaggression could be... Yeah. Um, 
saying something rude about, you know, you know, how parent, you know, parents, you know, parents are a certain way or um, black folks are a certain way or Asian folks are a certain way. Like you can see a lot of, in a lot of conversations about race, you'll hear about microaggressions and those, so those certain, like certain edge to like, Ooh, that yeah. sounds right you know, on surface, but there's a certain undertone that sent, there's a little sharpness to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's uncon, you know, it's those, those unconscious biases really kind of coming out because they're just unseen to the person really doing them. So I, I say flip that. And so we, again, we want to bring intentionality to our culture and our relationships always. So if you flip microaggressions, you want to think about micro-inclusions. Like what are the small ways that you as a person taking accountability for building a, an environment of psychological safety and belonging, what are the micro-inclusions you can make to acknowledge people, include people in a conversation? Did you notice someone was left off of an email? Bring them in. If, if, you heard someone say something in a meeting and they were talked over, make sure that the spotlight goes back to them. Or how, if you're always someone that starts first in a meeting, have someone else start first. It's these small behaviors that can add up over time to make people feel seen, included, and belong and belong to your, your crew. Mm. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. My Micro-inclusions. <laughs> yeah, micro-inclusions to make people feel seen and included. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful way to articulate it. Um, well, let's let's actually bring it back to what we were, um, what we were discussing because we went way, <laughs> way far off to track. You were talking about some of the summary of the what you learned from the Empathy Tour. Anything else you want, uh, that you learned that you wanted to share with me and my audience? Well, I want to, um, yeah, just to invite people to check out the Empathy Tour at theempathytour.co. There's a beautiful archive of the interviews that we had with these leaders, and each of them shared. We asked the same questions of every leader because we really wanted to uh, highlight three different aspects of, of what we were seeing empathy um, expressed as, which is bold leadership, creative action, and evolutionary business. And so we really, we approached, we approached the whole tour looking at things in a like systems thinking kind of way, like what people feel passionate about personally, and then how is that resonating with their teams and organizations and how is that connected to what's happening on a global level? So you'll, you'll see leaders talking about racial justice, um, climate change, political activism. I mean, these are leaders that aren't shying away from the, you know, what's really going on and they're finding ways to be creative with, and outspoken with all, with about, with all of that. Um, and so because Joe T and I are facilitators, we really distilled a lot of that wisdom and wanted to make it actionable for everybody. So we have, there's a free guidebook there with ex self-reflection exercises for yourself and creative exercises you can do with your team. So that ranges from, you know, from a, you know, from really looking at values alignment with your shareholders and stakeholders to having a, a dance party together. I mean, it's, it's a whole range of stuff. Mm, I love that. 
uh, on this podcast, we talk a lot about fractal phenomenon. Confucius said it starts with self-mastery, then his family, then his country, and then world, right? So ultimately, if you want to, let's say, change the world, you mm -hmm. tackle these really big issues, these amorphous issues like racism, as an example. Well, it starts with the micro-inclusions, right? Start with the self, what you could do within yourself and then your family unit, your company unit, and then, then the ripple effect continues. So I'm curious, um, you've interviewed all these great impact leaders. Um, whose story really helped you like, wow, what an amazing person. I never thought about it this way. I never knew about this person, that this person would just have that high vibration, high vibe level that you talked about, that you were so surprised you, you know, discover. Um, through the empathy tour. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, I do, I have to give a shout out to my sister, Cleo Barnett. She is the executive director of the Amplifier organization, and they are an amazing art organization um, who is putting out uh, global campaigns for um, climate justice, racial justice, um, world health, um, the reset of capitalism and the, it's a it's an art it's an art organization and my my heart you know i'm an artist at heart and to to see um to see the vision of of this come to fruition and to see a you know a white woman who's very like really aware of her privilege and leading from that place of openness and vulnerability and like you know deeply inclusive of, of many voices and, and, and truly by, by its own name, amplifying so many amazing voices and so many artists, it really, it really has inspired me. And to see that, you know, we were talking about, you know, we're, we are, we operate in it, we're operating in capitalism. And when we asked her about measuring success um, and how has an organization, how, how as an organization are they measuring success we had a really great conversation about the nature of changing hearts and minds and what that means. And when they get statistics back about the number of impressions, like their poster campaign or one of their campaigns in schools did, like they're getting reports back about decreased bullying in schools and places where their art is. And so I, I'm just deeply inspired by the power of art and music and you know what what it's kind of like that there's that Venn diagram of like what makes your what makes your what breaks your heart and also like what you're good at as part of like finding your purpose and and I really feel I really feel that possibility of you know what makes me super frustrated and angry and upset as a driver for me to really hone my skills towards you know towards me you know making an impact where where I can and and I'm still on that journey mm, I love that yeah, on this podcast, we say a lot. Um, the source, your your biggest wound will reveal the source of your superpower. Absolutely. So, so how would you articulate your 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 purpose, your life's mission? <laughs> um, that's a really great question. Uh, I might have to get back to you on that, but sure. uh, I would say, um, you know, I grew up. Um, I grew up moving around a lot 
and uh, you know lost a, you know a lot of friends along the way for you know many many different reasons. But I think that's part of what drives me around um, that group coherence that we're talking about and that um, that potential of anchoring and centering in and really finding finding that home in your own heart and being able to have that you know, be a part of a community or team or organization and how, how important that is for just happiness and joy. And, and in my life, that, that is absolutely a driver of what I have energy to do always is, is connected to art and community and, um, and that joy. And that is just something that I am, I'm still working on, um, you know, really believing that that can be a source of, you know, value and, and abundance um, for, you know, for my livelihood as well. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, who you are to me is someone who's deeply um, involved in culture, music, art, and use that as a, as a Trojan horse, so to speak, right, to allow people to get back to who they are as a human mm. being, as well as tapping into group coherence, group flow. So that's who you are to me. You know, it's not super articulate, but that's that's who you are to me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. When I, you know, after a night of DJing, for instance, and I just think about the experience of DJing and what that is and just the idea of celebration not being some, it's not about this surface kind of rote celebration, like, but a deep, deep celebration of life. That's what I bring to my art. And I think about that spark of aliveness that that can happen with other people when they when they see someone else and their joy and there's that generosity and belonging. I just think of that spark of aliveness that they bring into their life and their relationships and their projects and businesses. And I know that's what being a culture creator really is, is about is about, um, you know, really like co-creating that, you know, that that way of being of being together. Yeah, for sure. I think as a as a as a former you know culture executive, to me, what it takes to you know, a lot of people say like, how do I copy essentially, you know, Google's culture, or Facebook's culture, or you know, uh, SpaceX's culture, and so forth. I think at the end, the atomic unit, right, the building block of this is how do you engineer an environment that fosters you know, this peak experience of joy and fulfillment in a work situation. If you can do that, that's the atomic unit. If you can do that and do that a lot, guess what? The, um, this, this culture, the overall, you know, uh, organizational persona when emerge, that's unique to your organization. That's the way I see it. Yeah. And it's unique, right? Like you're talking about the fractals, like you can't just copy someone else's culture because you don't have those people culture is people and behaviors and those rituals. And that's like those, those moments of, you know, of inclusion that happen intentionally and spont you know, and spontaneously, like that, that is what your culture is, but you're right. You can engineer and kind of put up the scaffolding. Um, if you all can build that common language and some of those common behaviors to, you know, to be, you know, to be, whole and to be, you know, welcoming and, um, and truly like deeply values aligned every day at work. I mean, that's, that's, that's the culture that people should be aspiring to is to really 
identify and really like live and breathe your values. One of the things I love about Burning Man is it allows me to immerse in creativity, culture, and, and generosity, and even spirituality for a good 10 days, let's say. So what are some of the ways? So bringing back right to the younger CKs, Emily, listening for this. Sounds awesome. Love it. <laughs> you do this. What are some of the ways that they can start to engineer environment for these type of peak experiences to occur in their organization? Uh, that's a great question. I keep thinking about the power of experimenting and the power of play and the power of improvisation. So um, in in one of my one of my favorite organizations I work for, Substantial, who have an incredible culture, I loved that, you know, as as much as you know, we were focused on um, utilization and those billable hours and like, you know, going fast and like, you know, building amazing digital products, um, you know, with, you know, fast and with, you know, and quality. There was really these really beautiful moments in between projects where um, we play, like we played like as, you know, we would like there were games created, you know, like successful games or plugins to, you know, a tool that we were using like Trello, like that came out, that came out of a culture that was really just up for experimenting and playing together. And that, that it, itself, we were talking about, you know, yeah, that all sounds really nice, but we just have to get work done kind of attitude. Like you really miss out on these, these moments that really could end up becoming you know, their own successful products or, you know, these own successful experiences out of your company, because that culture was, they were, we just wanted to play and build and make, make cool stuff and have fun doing it together. And there, that was, that was a really cool lesson for me to, to witness and to be a part of that sense of, that sense of play that was there just because we just loved being together and, and making cool stuff. So, so Emily, I'm going to push you just a little bit, right? Lovingly nudging you for more details a little bit. Okay. So, so I am an aspirational organization or aspirational entrepreneur. Let's say I'm all about the head. It's all about results, 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 results. And now I hear about this sounds really inspiring, but it's a huge step in my mind, right? So what are some of the ways or tiny steps? micro steps can I take towards bringing more play into my organization? I think that would be very helpful for someone who is super heady, you know, inspired, but still super heady moving towards the organization of playfulness and fun and inspire ideas and so forth. Yes. Especially in this environment now where we can't get together and, you know, go on a, go on a retreat or, you know, go on a, do one of those like trust falls together to build that kind of like trust and play together. You know, we're having to figure this out and leaders are having to figure this out in an environment where we're all still remote and distributed. So I, I love this question and, and, and my mind and heart has been exploring, you know, how do you, how do you make someone virtually take a trust fall? Right. And mm -hmm. like have this experience together where you can be vulnerable and, and, play together and get that bond that comes from that, um, that, you know, trust is that bond that's built, you know, slowly over time. So as a facilitator, I, I have to point to, you know, creative play and, 
games that you could play even that would take five minutes at the beginning of your next meeting. Mm. Uh, there's an amazing resource from my my teacher, Jenny Sauerklein in the Bay Area. She runs an amazing school called Scaling Intimacy. So this could work for groups of people. Um, you know, we we do we do work with groups of people that, you know, 80, hundreds of people, and you can make it feel a lot really intimate using some of these games. But I want to turn people on to her resource called playonpurpose.com. Mm, mm, mm. And she is, um, she's got a whole bank and a whole library of really amazing games that you can integrate into your virtual meetings. And it's amazing how, like, like we were saying, even a couple of minutes at the beginning of a meeting, pausing to take a breath or take, you know, investing five, 10 minutes at the beginning of a meeting to do an icebreaker. Everyone rolls their eyes at the sound of an icebreaker. I've worked with plenty of skeptical kind of like, you know, heady engineering types to like know, like to know that that's in the room and the benefits of doing just a really like easy icebreaker question or like drawing game at the beginning of your meetings is a great small step to just build a little bit of creativity and play and vulnerability into your culture. Mm. Yeah. That. You know, it's interesting that, I, um, so I've been that engineer who rolls my eyes for, you know, these type of icebreakers and I always appreciate it having done it. So my subconscious love it. My conscience was judging it, right? So totally get it. even as a leader, I mean, now I facilitate these type of things. So, so for yeah. me, it's like, I see what you're doing. You're going to love it. Don't worry about it. Let's just, let's just go. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. As a, as a, as a, you know, facilitator, you know, I've been taught to have people in the beginning of a meeting, just, okay, everybody roll your eyes. Everybody just groan. Okay. Get that out of the way. And we're going to mm -hmm. do this thing. And you're right. People end up, you know, cause it's the, it's the kid in us. You know, we keep talking about the young CK and the young Emily, but it's the kid in us that needs to come out and play sometimes. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, before, before we ramp it down the official, um, um, podcast portion of it to move to clubhouse for the after party and DK <laughs> and Emily, right? What's the number one takeaway? What's one action that you want those who are listening, who are watching and yeah. What action do you want them to take from all of this beautiful gems that you share with us? So hmm. I feel like the most potent one is that the potential that can come from you pausing and breathing into your heart and your gut and building your own building your own sense of coherence and centeredness before you just throw yourself into work and meetings and conversations that centering will change your whole experience of of you know of your ability to listen to others and others ability to really be present and to hear you as well. Beautifully said. So before you go into a meeting, rather than just go, 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 go in the in between time, take a moment to breathe, expand, expand that, that, that capacity for inner resourcefulness. That's going to give so much benefit from whatever it is that you're creating beautifully said. So let's move on to the next portion, which is uh, clubhouse. So for any of you listening, 
Thank you so much. Go ahead and uh, check out Emily's Empathy Tour, theempathytour.co. And then oh, you can okay. learn about uh, what Emily and Jyoti is up to. So thanks for listening. Let's move over to the clubhouse. Thank you so much. Peace. Bye. Bye.